welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of March, March 26th and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Silvey. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike preaching from Acts chapter 2, The Gift That Keeps On Giving. Distribution was more than $2 billion for the city of East St. Louis, another billion dollars and a half for the state of Illinois, two and a half billion for the national forest system, and to top off the list, Herman, just an ordinary carpenter, left $6 trillion to the U.S. government to help pay off the national debt. I said six trillion with a T. Now the only problem with this great gift that Herm, Herman promised to give is that Herman was just an ordinary carpenter who only had a 1983 Oldsmobile to give to other people. He didn't have all this money, but he promised to give it. It was the greatest gift that was never given. And unlike Herman, And people like Herman, God is the giver of the greatest gifts, and what he promises, he can deliver. And he has given to every one of you who know Christ as your Savior the greatest gift that you could ever have. He's given you himself. The greatest gift you can give another person is yourself. And God the Father gave you his Son. And the Bible says the Son gave himself for us, for our sins on the cross. That he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of our God and our Father. And with the Son came the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why he's the gift that keeps on giving. He enables us to live the Christian life and experience God's presence, experience all that God will bless us with. And the Holy Spirit allows us to bear fruit in our life that has an eternal impact. So he indeed is the gift that keeps on giving. I want to look at Acts chapter 2 with you this morning and notice the when, the how, and the why of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we do this, we're just going to Uh, understand that the Holy Spirit is our greatest gift as a Christian as we try to live our Christian life. We cannot live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. I can't preach without Him. I can't teach without Him. I can't pray. I can't witness. I can't live a holy life without the Holy Spirit. And you can't either. You can't do anything for the Lord without the Holy Spirit's power within you enabling you to do that. And so we are absolutely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. That's why every morning we need to pray a prayer like this. Lord, crucify my flesh and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I prayed that prayer this morning because I can't preach without the Holy Spirit. I've tried, and it didn't go well. 
And I've learned that I can't do anything of any consequence in my spiritual life without the Lord's enabling through the Holy Spirit. That's why he was sent. And so let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And then we'll bring in the other part of the chapter as we go through the sermon. But the Bible says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So in these verses we see the when, we see the how, and we're going to see the, the why of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now number one, when did the Holy Spirit come? Well the first word in the verse 1 answers that question for us. See it there? When the day of Pentecost had fully come. So the Holy Spirit came upon the church on the day of Pentecost. And this was 50 days after they celebrated Passover. The word Pentecost literally means the 50th day. And so this was one of their religious holidays, it was one of the seven feasts that the Lord had uh, told Israel to practice in the Old Testament. And Pentecost was 50 days after they offered the Passover lamb. And so historically speaking, 50 days after they were uh, delivered from Egypt, and the, on the Passover night they were delivered from Egypt's bondage, 50 days they found themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai. And there they encountered the presence of God. And this is what this feast was about. It was about encountering the presence of God and recognizing it. And here on this day, and this was no accident, there's no coincidence, God sends the Holy Spirit upon these believers on this day because the Holy Spirit, this is number one, the Holy Spirit is the presence of God in our lives. So the win of the gift shows us that the gift is about the presence of God. Why do we have the gift of the Holy Spirit? So we would have the, whole, the presence of God within us, and we do. The Bible teaches very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 5, rather, and 2 Corinthians chapter 6, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is in you, and you are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will dwell in them, walk among them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So the Holy Spirit brings the presence of God right here within our body, within our earthly temple. And it's amazing to think about this. God can be everywhere all at the same time. He can be at one place at one time. And with every one of you who are saved, the Holy Spirit is right there with you. And the presence of God is in you. So that's what Pentecost was about. And this is what the gift of the Holy Spirit is about. Hebrews chapter 12 says this very clearly. A companion text here says, 
For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burn with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words as they experienced at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. But verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 12 says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. So as a Christian, we live in two dimensions. If you are someone who has accepted Christ and you're a believer in Christ, then you are in this physical world, but at the same time, because the Holy Spirit's within you, you have a very real connection to the spiritual world. And you can't control the spiritual world. That doesn't give you a right to you know, tap into it and do what you want. But from the other side, you have this connection. And through Jesus and through his spirit, he's going to be leading you and filling you. And you, in a very real sense, have a connection with all the saints who have gone before us and with the Father and with Jesus. Jesus taught us this. In John chapter 17, he prayed to the Father. He said, Father, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one, that they may be perfect in oneness. And I think in that chapter he was praying for much more than that we would just get along. He was praying that we would have a vital connection with heaven like he has a vital connection with heaven. And he said, I'm praying that, that just as you are in me, that I would be in them. And they would be complete in what oneness. So the Father's in Jesus, Jesus is in us, the Holy Spirit's the one who brings out that, that presence of God in us. And we have his presence. So as you come to church, you don't just come to the presence of God, but you bring the presence of God. That's why as we come, we should come humbly and faithfully and reverently. As we come here, the Lord is with us. And as we all join together, his manifest presence in all of us is manifest, and God does special and, and unique things as his people get together. And that's why we ought to be faithful to the Lord's house. Yes, you can worship at home. Yes, you can spend quiet time with him, and we should. And you have just as much presence there as you do here. But God wants to do more than just what he's doing in, in your room at home. He wants to do something among his people that will impact the entire world. And the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to realize that. So number one, the when here, when the Holy Spirit came, was all about the presence of God. And then number two, the how, is about the power of God. See there in verses two through four, there's something that happened that was very powerful. God gave a visible manifestation of this presence so that they would know it was there and they would see a picture of the power that the Lord brings into our lives. So we need the Holy Spirit who will bring the power that moves us and the power that will energize us and that will fill us and satisfy us. Notice how the Spirit 
came. He came, number one, as a mighty rushing wind, there in verse 2. And then in verse 3 it says he came at, as a energizing fire. But then in verse 4, there's another picture here, and that is he came as the water of life who filled them on the inside. See that word filled? It's, it's water that fills. The wind moves, the fire energizes, but the water, that's what fills. And so here's the picture of the Holy Spirit's power in your life that you must have every single day. He is the wind, he is the power that will move you in the right direction. He's the one who will, uh, as this unstoppable force, and that's the wind, who allow you to go through things that you do not have human power to go through. And to make it through this difficult life on your journey, however long that may be, with the strength and endurance that you need to walk and not grow weary. That's the Holy Spirit's power. But he's also an unquenchable fire, and he will be that person who gives you the inner energy and stamina, endurance, to do what God's called you to do and to be who he wants you to be. So this is what the... The Holy Spirit's coming was about on this day. It was also about the power. And I think we must understand here that this was not the birth of the church. This was the baptism of the church. You see, the church had already come into existence. You read chapter 1 and you see that. In chapter 1, we find the first prayer meeting of the church. We find the first business meeting of the church. They replaced Judas as the, another apostle. And then it also records in verse 15 of chapter 1 that there were 120 believers who were already on the church roll. The church was already in existence. That, the birth of the church had happened during Christ's ministry. But what this was is what we experience today in that when we take that first step of obedience and we step out in public and we say, I am now a believer and a follower in Christ and I, I follow him in baptism and I do what he tells me to do. I present myself. He comes with his power. And he lives through us and in us. And he moves us. And he strengthens us. And he fills and satisfies us like no one else or no, one, no other thing can. And so as a church, we can only be what we need to be as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a prayer I pray for every one of you. As I spend time in prayer as a pastor, I pray that the Lord would fill you with his Holy Spirit. As I preach and I share what God has shared with me and what I've learned, it will make no difference in your life if you don't have power to put it into practice. And I can't make you. As hard as some pastors tried, I've tried, we can't make you do certain things that we want you to do. Only the shepherd can lead the sheep. And the Lord on high is the one who gave us his Holy Spirit to have this inward power that moves us and makes us do what we should do. So he's the fire, he's the, the wind, <clears throat> and he's the water. The Holy Spirit is pictured as the river of life. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 38, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, but this he spake concerning the Spirit who those believing in him would receive. 
And so the Holy Spirit is the one who fills us and satisfies us. That's the idea of the word filling. He will satisfy you. And I want you to be satisfied. I want you to be full. I want you to be under the Holy Spirit's power. But the world's spirit is what will rob you of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says, Do not be filled with wine in which is excess or dissipation. It breaks you down. That's what that word means. It takes from you. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so in that verse and in this chapter, you see this contrast between the world spirit and God's spirit. As uh, these believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak with other tongues, and we'll explain that further in just a moment. But as they began to show this uh, spiritual power in their life that obviously came from God, there were some that thought that they were drunk. It says in verse 13, others mocking said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, verse 14, standing up with eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you this day, let it be known to you, and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. That was 9 a.m. He was saying, this power didn't come from anything in the world. This came from the Holy Spirit. Now I need to say something very personal at this point. And as a pastor, I want you to know where I stand on uh, the practice of, of drinking. Because this is something that is a question, and especially in this day and time. You, used to, in churches, this was not debated. This, this was a point that was etched in stone, and uh, no one questioned it. And, uh, you know, there, there was, among Baptist circles, uh, it was very well known that, uh, that you didn't drink. That, that, was just, that was not allowed. We live in a different day. Now, here's what I say about it. I say as your pastor and your friend and the person who wants to see you blessed more than anybody else, I say don't drink because that's not the way to full blessing. And I know many don't agree with that. I know some of the younger folks growing up in this generation, this is just it's what everybody does. Uh, but I can tell you stories of what happens when the poison of alcohol begins to do its work in your life and in your family's life. I'm not one to beat you over the head and try to make you feel guilty and, and make you feel like, well, you're not, a, uh, you're not a good Christian or you may not even be saved if you're doing some of this stuff. No, we all can walk in our flesh and we all can go to the world for the things that we if we think we need, and we learn the lesson eventually that God is the one through His Spirit and through His Word that gives us everything that we need. And what He gives us is better. It's better. It doesn't come with all the hang-ups and all the, the difficulties like alcohol. I can tell you about families that have been ripped apart, families that were good church families, Families that sit in church every Sunday morning were there every Sunday night and Wednesday night and were ripped apart because of alcohol. I can tell you about how medically the doctors tell us that alcohol is a toxin. It actually destroys your brain cells. See, it takes, it's a poison, it takes away. It doesn't just give, 
And what it does give is very temporary. It's a toxin. It's a toxin to every major organ of your body. And if you drink too much, it eventually uh, overloads your liver. And I've been at the bedside of some people that have literally drank themselves to death. I know what it looks like. It's not pretty. We could talk about how, yes, Jesus did turn the water into wine in John chapter 2. But we'd also have to talk about how in that day and time they knew that wine and strong drink was, was dangerous and so they added water to it intentionally so it wasn't intoxicating. The rabbis actually had a ratio that was set in stone depending upon how conservative they were. It was either one part alcohol, 20 parts of water, or it was one part alcohol, five or six parts water, just so that it would not become intoxicating and it would not become a danger to the people. Because Proverbs 20 verse 1 does say that wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And the rabbis in the Old Testament knew this. And so they took measures to protect. And Jesus knew this. So I think we could have the conversation that Jesus didn't just put wine into the water pots, but he added the wine to the water that was already there. So he said fill it up with water, didn't he? But then he added just the right measure that needed to be. And those who drank it didn't say, man, this is, this is different than anything we ever had. No, they said this is the best. See, God has his best for you. And God's best is the Holy Spirit. They had to add alcohol to their water in biblical days because the water wasn't pure. And they could get sick and die from it. And besides that, it didn't taste good. And so they added it to it for taste and for purity's sake. But today, we live in a society in which we don't have to do that. And the alcohol that's in our country today is the number one abused drug in America. We could talk about that too. And so there's danger there. There's a poison. It, it does give you something, but it's very temporary, and it takes so much from you. But the Holy Spirit is the Spirit that will be in you, that will only give and give and give. He's the gift that never stops giving. And He doesn't take anything from you except that which hurts you. And so as a pastor and a friend, I would say to you, don't drink because God's got his best in mind for you. And as you take one drink, you'll come under the control of that drink. Scientists tell us this. Biologically speaking, you, you do begin to come under the control of that. It changes how you think. And in that moment, there's an aspect of you that's not under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's under the control of the Spirit in the bottle. And the Bible says there's a better way to live. And I have come to believe that as well. And we see that contrast here. Peter's saying, no, we're not under the influence of anything that you can drink. We're under the full influence of the Holy Spirit of God. And he has come to be the presence of God with us. He's come to be the power of God with us. And as Peter opened his mouth, and he began to speak. And by the way, this was the first time in Scripture that we see him speaking in public since he denied Christ. And what a difference we see here is he's now preaching Christ with great power. And so let me give you the third point of the gift of the Holy Spirit here, and then you'll have the message. 
Here it is about the gift. This is the why he came. The why is about the Holy Spirit being the gift of presentation. You, through the Holy Spirit's power, are enabled to speak and become a presenter of the greatest present that anybody could receive. You can now have persuasion in your words so that you can speak something to someone else and their life can be changed forever. Now, I grew up, when I grew up, I did not have this power. I remember here at this church being um, in services like this and the preacher talking about speaking and witnessing to others about Christ. And I knew all the answers. I knew all the biblical information. It was all up here. But when it came to speaking it, getting it out, I couldn't do it. I remember Brother Ron Lefford, our youth director, taking us right down the street and going down all these streets where all these families lived up and down here. And I knew some of my friends lived down those streets. And we'd walk up to those doors, and I'd be praying the whole time. And here's a prayer I'd be praying. Lord, please don't let them open the door. <laughs> don't let my friend open the door and see me out here doing this. Because I didn't know how. And I wasn't full of the Holy Spirit. I lived many years of my life, my Christian life, just in my flesh, just kind of just getting by, spiritually speaking. But years later, as I surrendered myself, I found I was able not only to go down the street and speak to a friend in the neighborhood, I was able to speak to anybody that God brought my way, whether his name's Muhammad or whatever it was. And here's the difference. The Holy Spirit is the presenter. He's the one that now is in you. And Jesus said he will, he will give you the words. And he will allow you to be the person who offers this gift to others. Now very quickly, I want you to notice that there are two ways that the gospel was presented here through the Holy Spirit. The first way was in an unknown tongue in a temporary setting. And the second way was in a known tongue in a permanent setting or through a permanent language. When the Bible says they spoke in other tongues, that does mean uh, that they spoke a language that they had not learned before this. It was unknown to them. But it was known to many others. In fact, as uh, others, Jews that were there in verses 5 through 12, they heard this. They said, how is it that we hear in our own language in which we were born? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. The Holy Spirit did that on that occasion, but it was for that occasion and for that time in the New Testament. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, or yes, chapter 13, verse 8, that tongues will cease. So what does that mean? That means that there was a time in which God used the tongues to get the gospel out, but when it was no longer necessary, when the, the full revelation was completed, that then tongues ceased 
And then everyone then got the gospel out through the preaching and teaching of God's word in their own known language. And this is actually prophesied in the Old Testament. I know there's a lot of debate about tongues and about whether we're still to speak in tongues today. There, I have friends and there are good people that say otherwise. But I want to point you to Isaiah chapter 28 verse 11. And this is a prophecy that I think speaks to this situation And it tells us that God intended the speaking in tongues to be for a temporary time. And it was for the day of Pentecost and the days after that. Isaiah 28 verse 11 says, For with stammering lips and another tongue he will speak to this people, to the Jews. And so speaking in unknown tongues, according to Scripture, is sharing the gospel with the Jews as a sign of their unbelief, as a sign of them departing from God and no longer being the ones who carried the testimony. God said in the Old Testament, when you depart from me, I'm going in the future, I'm going to speak to you in another tongue, my wonderful works. And that's what he was doing on the day of Pentecost. But it was just for the Jews as a sign of their unbelief. And it was for that temporary time. It's not for us today, I believe, The Holy Spirit is going to speak through us, but he's going to speak through our own language that we know. And that's the main way that he's getting the gospel out today. And this is what we see Peter doing. As we're going back to Acts chapter 2, we see Peter standing up and speaking in his own voice, in his language, and preaching a great sermon about Christ. And as he preached, the Bible tells us that 3,000 souls were saved from that message. Wow, what a message. How did that happen? It happened through the enabling of the Holy Spirit to take a man who just days before that was denying Christ and was hiding in secrecy, and now he's standing up with boldness and power, and he's speaking a word from God that converts 3,000 people. That's the power of the Holy Spirit that's living in you and living in me. That's now making us the proclaimers of Christ in this world. The first time that I ever witnessed to someone else was just a few days after my salvation. It was before we moved here. I had just been saved. I was so excited about what God had done in my life that I I couldn't help but just tell other people. And I remember on Monday morning after I was baptized that Sunday, after I was saved the previous Wednesday, that uh, I went to my neighbor friend uh, down the alleyway in the neighborhood where we lived. And I remember going up to him and just telling him what I had done and why I had done it. I accepted Christ in my life, and then I was baptized after that. And he looked at me, and, he's, and, he, and, and with all honesty, he looked at me and he goes, why would you want to do that? And I walked away from that encounter saying, I'll never do that again. That didn't go well at all. I found out that people didn't want to hear about Christ. That they didn't believe in him like I did. They didn't know about him. And I walked away as a ten and a half year old saying, I'm never going to do that again. (laughs) That didn't go well. And I didn't do that again for years. Until the Holy Spirit began to fill me and change me and open my mouth. And this is his 
credit, not mine. I have witnessed to people in neighborhoods. I've witnessed to people across the seas. I've witnessed to people of all nationalities and backgrounds. And God's allowed me to see a few of them come to faith in Christ. And that's because of his power. He can do that in your life and my life as we serve him here. If we bow our heads in prayer, I want to ask you, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? You can ask yourself some other questions that might help pinpoint you to the reality. Do you experience the presence of God when you worship? Or is worship something you just kind of endure and you get through? Do you have power during the week? Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.